pile of puddle of uh, sweat over here. You can just mop me up, and hopefully I'll come back next week. So, but um, man, it's hot out there. Come on, let's do the New England thing. It's wicked hot out there. Come on, I'm getting my New England accent back a little bit here and there, and the southernness will take over here. So, um, but uh, hope you're all doing well. Uh, uh, many of you uh, might be asking, you know, what is this right here? Does anybody know what this is other than Victor and Maureen? Yeah. So it uh, it kills flies, and um, uh, real quickly. Uh, we had the distinct pleasure, Katie and I, of uh, having dinner over at uh, Victor and Maureen's house on Friday night. And, uh, man, it was awesome. So first of all, thank you. Um, just incredible uh, servants. And, and just um, uh, Jamie mentioned the individual butter dishes, so now I know what you mean. And uh, so, and excuse me a little bit, I'm kind of going through the crud right now, so uh, we'll, we'll get through this, but. Haven't been feeling too good, but um, so uh, during uh, the dinner that night, uh, there was a fly that came in and joined us in our fellowship, and uh, so, <laughs> the, you know, it's kind of like you see it, and you kind of like, all right, you know, whatever, and then you kind of move on, and then all of a sudden, it kept buzzing around, and uh, Mary, uh, Maureen went to go get um, this fly swatter, and I was just like, uh, what is that fly swatter? Like, what does that do? And so, sure enough, they gave us a demonstration. It actually zaps the fly when you get it. And so, you know, Katie and I, we're just used to the, the, the fly swatter that goes like this. I didn't really know that there was one of these things. I've seen those outside things, right? And, uh, and so Katie was so excited about it. She said, well, I want to try that. And so they gave it to Katie, and then for the next 15 or 20 minutes, Katie was running around the house trying to get the fly. And uh, I think either Victor or Maureen said, you know, she's not fast enough. <laughs> and so uh, they, they gave it back to them, and eventually Victor uh, took it over, and Victor, go ahead, and he killed the fly. So when anybody asks us, you know, what did you do at Victor and Maureen's house on Friday night? I said, well, we chased flies, then we zapped them. <laughs> and I said, well, that's really cool. I said, man, I'd like to have one of those. And so they gifted us this one. And so immediately I thought, you know what? That would be great to use on our cat when it rubs up against me, especially when I have black on or something, and it gets all its hair on me. But that wouldn't go over too well with Katie. So then I came up with another way to use this. And I said, I'll bring it to church. And I said, if anybody is falling asleep during my sermon... I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to gently just tap them on the head and it might feel a jolt from the Holy Spirit or something like that just to lovingly wake you back up so we can get through God's word. But see, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to let my bodyguard, Katie, do this so that way you can deal with her. Amen. God's good, amen. Thank you, Victor and Maureen, for your hospitality. This morning, I want to talk to you about leadership. Leadership. Everybody say the word leadership. Leadership. You know, many of you do not see yourselves as leaders. Many of you do not consider yourselves as leaders. Many of you don't even think about, I am a leader. Think about that for just a second. But what I need you to know 
is that every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, every person who is a part of a local church family, every person who is involved in living is a leader. You are a leader. And it's easy to cop out and say, you know what, I'm not a leader. I'm just going to kind of sit back and, you know, let others do it. That's really not my job. I'm not a leader. But I'm here to tell you, yes, you are. You are a leader. You might be a leader of one. You might be a leader of five. You might be a leader of a hundred or more. And we've seen men and women in our church right here uh, lead many others. And you might be saying, well, that's good for them. They have the gift of leadership. And there is a gift of leadership in the Bible. And I understand that. But listen, even, and, and, and you might be saying something like this, well, I'm more of a doer. I'm just a doer. But even as a doer, you are a leader because you don't just lead by what you say, but you lead by example. Can I have a good amen? See, in God's kingdom, we follow his lordship and leadership. And so this morning, I want to share with you a powerful message from God's word uh, from this book of Nehemiah, chapter 7 here. And you can go ahead and open up to chapter 7. And, you know, because it talks about the power of leadership, above all else, Nehemiah was a leader. In the book of Nehemiah, we said, uh, when we started this series, is what? It's one of the greatest leadership books in the Bible, if not the greatest leadership book in the Bible. We see Jesus' leadership, of course. Jesus didn't lead by just what he said. He led by example. In Nehemiah chapter 6, we saw last week, Rosh's read the scripture here, and I'm going to read it again for a little more emphasis here. Nehemiah 6, 15 through 16, it says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. This work, this incredible, unbelievable, impossible work of rebuilding this wall had been done with who? The help of our God. And so we pray a prayer here, and I try to lead us in prayer. And the prayer goes something like this. It says, God, do something so unbelievable, so incredible, so amazing, in no way, shape, or form that anyone can get the credit but you, God. God, do something so incredible, so amazing, so powerful that only you can get the credit. And you know, the greatest place for each and every single one of us to live in faith is when we pray that prayer over our own life, amen? God, would you do something so incredible, so amazing, so awesome in me that only you get the credit for what you want to do in me and do through me? Nehemiah understood this. It's one of the greatest places that we can live by faith. And we're going to unpack that here in chapter 7 today. And uh, I want to kind of put this into a little bit of perspective here. So uh, it says they, built the, they rebuilt the wall in just 52 days. And so when we, uh, when we start out, we knew a little bit of the dimensions of the wall, right? Uh, it was 9 feet wide. So, you know, whatever that is, mark that out. It's probably, I don't know, maybe from here to there. It's, it's, it's quite, a, quite a, a, a width there. And, and the wall was uh, 12 to 14 feet high. And then uh, about three to four miles in circumference around the city. 
And what's amazing about this is that this wall that was rebuilt was not rebuilt by stonemasons and brick masons. The people that you would expect to contract and to come out and build the wall. No, 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 no. This wall was really a miracle of God. Because see, to build a wall like that in 52 days and to put arches in a wall and to, to, to hang doors and everything, you've got to be gifted to do that, right? You've got to have some skill set in to do that. But God used people, common people, ordinary people, people like us, just an ordinary person serving an extraordinary God. And he said, these people did not have the ability, but my power and strength in them gives them all my ability. And these people, let's remember, they were perfume makers, goldsmiths, shepherds, and farmers. So in chapter 7, we see Nehemiah leading them from not only rebuilding the wall now, because we'll see that the wall has been rebuilt, but now he shifts and he goes from rebuilding the wall to what? Rebuilding them. Rebuilding the people rebuilding these people to understand who they were under the lordship and leadership of God. That's what leaders do. Leaders don't just build structures. They don't just build buildings. They build and lead people. So this morning, whether you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or you're a parent of, of one or two children, or you're a single person leading just a friend. This message is for you. Don't discount that word leadership, and you don't see yourself as that. Listen, God sees you as a leader. And yes, we've got to learn how to lead ourselves first, but eventually God wants to do in us so he can work through us to lead others. Don't think leadership the way the world says it. And, and, and there's the CEO of this company and this. And that's, that's God's kingdom is a little bit different than that. Can I have a good amen? You've heard me say this before, that we're not leaders who serve when we get the opportunity to do it. No, we're servants who lead when God gives us the opportunity. Big, big difference. We see ourselves, the church, God's kingdom, as servants who lead. And we aspire to serve. And when we do that, God can use us to lead. So four truths I want to share with you this morning, and then we'll uh, take the Lord's Supper communion, and then we'll get back out in the heat and humidity and uh, go to the beach and get a tan or something like that. I don't go to the beach. I'm Irish. I don't tan. I burn, okay? My happy place is when it's about 65 degrees, and I can go down to Newport and put out a chair there in Fort Adams and the, the waves and the wind are gently blowing in and I've got a leadership book or God's word and that's my happy place, amen? Bring back the 60s, amen? Come on now, I sound like a peace child. Bring back the 60s. So four truths real quick from Nehemiah chapter seven about the power of leadership. Truth number one is this. Leaders discover and develop other leaders. Leaders discover and develop other leaders. If you say that you're a leader and you're not discovering and developing others, you are not a leader, you're just a boss. One of my responsibilities as a church planning catalyst, and that's just a real fancy word, I'm a missionary who helps lead other churches and come alongside and helps them plant churches, okay? 
So don't get that. What does a church planting catalyst mean? I try to catalyze, and if you studied a lot about leadership, you understand some of those words there, but it's really simple. I'm just a missionary. And we come alongside churches to help them discover, develop, and deploy church planters. That's one of the many responsibilities that I have. And, you know, I have lots of leadership conversations with men of integrity, and the conversation goes like this when I'm sitting down there. And, and, and what I'm doing is I'm kind of been introduced to this person, and I've got to know them a little bit. And, you know, they've done a couple um, opportunities for some interviews and stuff. And I get to speak into their life, and I use this as a, as a phrase. I say, I see in you. I see in you somebody who's passionate about the Lord. And you can lead a church plant. Why? Not because you're fully qualified. Because why? You're called. And see, that's the thing about God's kingdom. God doesn't always call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Big, big difference there. God uses imperfect men and women all the time for different areas and roles and responsibilities in his church. And I love that when I get to sit down with these men, these men of integrity, and speak to them and say, I see in you, I see in you somebody who leads your family well. Not perfect, but well. I see in you somebody who puts the Lord first. I see in someone in you who has a passion and a heart for his community, his workplace, his, his family, his neighbors, whatever it is. And I know that you want to reach these people for God's glory in Jesus' name. Amen? I see in you. That's discovering and developing leaders. Sure, we have to do training. We have to raise them up and everything. But we've got to discover and develop. And we see here in Nehemiah 7, 1 through 3, we see that principle in place here. It says, after the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. So we see that he set up the different roles, right? The different roles for what's going to happen next. And he says this, he says, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hananiah along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot, while the gatekeepers are still on duty. Have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their post and some near their own houses. Nehemiah knew that the work of rebuilding the wall was only half done now. Because yes, the wall was complete, but now he needed to go in and he needed to rebuild the people. He needed to rebuild the nation so they could get back to the place where they were living and leading under the lordship of their God, the true God. Nehemiah understood that. And so he knew that the work was only half done. He had to rebuild the nation and himself. So what did he do? He built an organization. He built a structure. And we see that here, and there's three things about that when we lead and discover and develop other leaders. Number one is that leaders share their ministry with others. They don't try to do it alone. Leaders share their ministry with others. They don't try to do it alone. You ever heard of the Lone Ranger effect? It's out there. Lone Ranger, hey, it's, it's all about me and follow me and come do this and I'll do it and I'll get it done and everything. But real leaders understand that they share their ministry with others. They don't try to do it alone. What did Nehemiah do? He enlisted two men to share the responsibility. Why did he do this? Well, what if something happened to him? Who would take the lead? Who would follow in his footsteps? 
And see, that's the same thing we need to do in the church, is that we need to continue to bring people up, raise them up, train them up, send them out for the glory of God. So we can see God's kingdom continue to thrive and move forward here on earth. It's not all about just who is the pastor of the church. The last time I checked, we're all the church together. And Nehemiah understood this, and he raised up leaders to share their ministry that they didn't do it alone. The second thing is this, is that leaders give clear instructions for those given shared responsibilities. He didn't just go say, now just go do it. Go ahead, good luck. Let me know how it goes. Give me a report in a few weeks, and uh, man, God be with you, right? He gave them very clear instructions. He gave them the what to do, and he gave them the how to do it. We just look back here and he says, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. In other words, he's giving them very clear instructions on how they can move forward. It's so important that we give clear instructions when we're leading others. And it can be just a simple thing as this is, you know, I know you're going through a struggle right now. Let me give you something very clear to do. I want you to spend tomorrow five minutes in prayer. I want you to spend five minutes in God's word. And give me feedback to let me know how you're doing. And then we can build upon that. But leaders understand, like Nehemiah, that they give clear instructions to build people up, to share the responsibilities. It's not just, hey, good luck. I'm praying for you. Come on, we've all heard that, right? Somebody needs prayer. Hey, I'm praying for you, right? How about we stop right then and there and pray for them and then give them an opportunity to share something with them. Give them an instruction. Have them give you feedback and report back to you. Leaders give clear instructions. And then the third thing in this, as we discover and develop other leaders, is that leaders set clear guards in place for the safety of the people that they lead. Leaders set clear guards for the safety of the... Accountability is so, so important. Accountability, set guardrails. You know, this is really a spiritual principle. Gatekeepers are very important in our spiritual journey. Parents, you are a gatekeeper to your son or daughter's heart. It's like this. It's like, I don't have it on me, but my phone there, right? And, 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 and you know, my kids' phones and everything. And, and that's kind of like a, um, it's not really their phone, if you know what I'm talking about. Because I'm the one who's paying the bill, right? And so they get to borrow that phone in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be harsh or mean or anything, but it's my role and responsibility it's katie's role to do we know what's going on in our kids phones and it may seem when you're 13 or 14 or 17 years old a little bit harsh but we are to be the gatekeepers to allow the enemy to help to not allow the enemy to come in because why sin comes in in secret and it's not to be harsh but it's to set clear guards it's the same thing for our lives who is in your life who's keeping you accountable what are the guardrails in your life we talked about that last week a little bit not compromising with the enemy what are those things that come that you know that are temptations that you set clear guards in your life for that guardrails clear guards in place for the safety of the people not only for us but the people that we lead too. So, so important. We've got to close the gates to not let the enemy in. And Nehemiah understood that. The second truth 
this morning is this, is that not only do leaders discover and develop other leaders, but leaders expect and plan for growth. Leaders expect and plan for growth. Incremental growth, day-by-day growth, step-by-step growth. We expect and we plan for growth. As the interim pastor of the church and whatever God does in the future there, I expect and I'm going to plan for growth for this church in Jesus' name, amen? We've got to all expect that. Are you expecting that for your church? Are you praying that for your family, for the people that you lead? Do you expect them to grow and plan for that? Nehemiah 7, 4 and 5. It says this, Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. And the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So the house, again, everything that's inside the wall, it's still, now they're protected outside from the enemy. And now we're seeing what's going on the inside. And it says, So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. And I found the genealogical record of those who had been first to return. And this is what I found written there. And so he goes on to kind of show us the different things. And number one is that the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. To define reality. Nehemiah understood this. Where are we at? What do we have? A leader's responsibility is to discover where are we now so we know where we want to move in the future. What is the current reality of the situation? Whenever somebody gets opportunity and I have to sit down with them and, you know, it's biblical guidance or counseling and, you know, I I certainly want to hear them, but I'm also going to unpack, tell me where you are now with your walk with the Lord. Not for condemnation, but to help build them up. Because I know that that conversation with me, they're going to remember a few things, but here's what's going to help them heal and move forward. It's Jesus Christ and their relationship with him. So I've got to help them to define reality. Because really, most of our problems, if not all of our problems, are what? Spiritual problems. There's issues in our life, and they all relate to his word. And so where are you right now? How are you doing? How was your prayer time? How was your devotion time? Not to make them feel, and I I preface that to help them because I understand we're all at different places in life. But see, folks, I don't have the answer. His word has the answer. But we've got to define reality, and this leads into these three things here. Number one is that leaders don't just see what is, but they see what can be. Leaders don't see what is, but they can see, they see what can be. Are you seeing God's people, and are you seeing what God sees in other people. You're a child of God. You're the head and not the tail. You're set free in Jesus' name. I understand there's a lifestyle of repentance. We talk about this all the time. Justification is instant, but sanctification is a lifestyle, amen? Go and sin no more. However, we also live in a fallen and a broken world. Uh, A a woman who was caught in the act and and Jesus set her free and said, go and sin no more. He's talking about that specific thing. And I believe that she had God's grace to do that. But I'm sure there was other things that came across in her life. Are we seeing people the way God sees people? Not for what is, but what can be. Parents, do you see your kids for what they can be? The possibilities. 
in front of them. Do we see that in our workplaces, our churches? What can be? Leaders don't see what is, but they see what can be. Nehemiah understood this. Number two is this, is leaders don't make excuses. They work with what they have, and I'm going to add this, and they trust God for the rest. And they trust God for the rest. Leaders don't make excuses. One of the greatest sins that I think happens in the church is like, oh man, if only we had this, and if only we had this many people, and if only we had this kind of uh, ministry, and if only we had this kind of budget, and if only we had this kind of resources, and only if this, if, this, if we had this, this, and this, and, and, and then just maybe we would see God do something great. And leaders like Nehemiah, they don't make excuses. They work with what they have. Nehemiah was laser-focused on what he could do. And what did he do back in Nehemiah chapter 1? He prayed, he mourned, he fasted. God gave him the opportunity to meet with the king, and we saw the favor that goes on from there. And he created a plan. He prayed and planned. And he understood, and he said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to make excuses, but I'm going to work with what I have. And what I have is this, and it's the same thing that every single one of us have. We have Jesus Christ. We have his word, we have his power, and we can tap into that. Work with what we have. And the third thing is this, is that leaders organize and plan as if they already had all the resources they needed. Listen, hear me, hear me real quick here. I want to say this. If God leads you to it, he will lead you through it, and he will provide for it. If God leads you to it, he will lead you through it, and he will provide for it because that's the will of God right there. God is not going to lead you to something that is just so impossible that it's never going to happen. Yes, you're going to have to step out in faith. Yes, you're going to have to trust God. Yes, it's going to seem scary at first. Yes, you're going to have fear and sometimes some anxiety. But you can lay that all down at the foot of the cross. And I've got God's resource behind me. Nehemiah understood this. An old African proverb is this, is that the bucket is filled drop by drop. Drop by drop. So many times we think that, oh, I've prayed this prayer and boom, it's just going to automatically happen. And, and it's just like this, no, one step at a time, one day at a time. We want to see, sometimes we pray prayers and we're like, you know, God, show me. And, and sometimes he does, he gives us a vision and he says, you know, show me uh, the end from the beginning. But there's lots of steps along the way. And when we follow Jesus, we stay in step with him. We allow Jesus to walk in front of us, and we stay close to him. We don't want to lag too far behind, and we definitely don't want to get in front of him. Because when we do, we're doing things in our own strength, in our own power. But the resource is this, is Jesus, you love me, and I am close to you, and I'm just going to stay close to you, and I'm going to be able to reach out and touch the hem of your garment. And Jesus, if you want us to go in this direction, I'm going to keep following you. <laughs> and you lead me. I follow. You lead me, Jesus. I follow. I'm, I've got the resources that I need. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to organize, and I'm going to plan. And so many times in ministry, we ask the question, why? Why do we want to do that? But the question really should be, why not? Why not? Let's go ahead and move forward until God closes the door on that. He will make it very clear. So many times we're saying, oh, I'm just waiting on God, but God is really saying, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on us. Because God wants to lead us 
and we've got to go along with him for that journey. Nehemiah understood that. He organized and he planned that he already had the resources that he needed. And then the third truth this morning is this, is truth number three is that real leaders, real leaders create high expectations. Real leaders create high expectations. Nehemiah 7, 6 through 7 and 60 through 65, it says this, says, these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town in company with, and here we go again, Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nehemiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizparath, Bigvah, Nehem, and Bena. Now, I know I'm probably not saying all these names correctly, but you know what? Most of you don't know the proper pronunciation either. So let's just move forward. It doesn't matter how many times I pull out my Bible app and I listen to it. And from there to there. It, but it says, then the temple servants and the descendants of the servants of Solomon, 392, the following came up from the towns of Telmah, Telharsha, Kerib, Adon, Emar, but they could not show that their families were descended from Israel. The descendants of Deliah, Tobiah, and Nakoda, 642, and from among the priests, the descendants of Hobiah, Hakaz, Barzilia, a man who had married a daughter of the Barzilia, the Gileadite, and was called by that name. These searched for the family records, but they could not find them, and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor, therefore, ordered them not to eat any of the most sacred food until there should be a priest ministering with the ermine and thumen. Nehemiah created high expectations. He said, you are a Jew and you're going to live like a Jew. And some of you, you left the camp and you said, you know what, that's not for me and all this trouble and everything. I'm going to live outside of God's will. But some of them stayed true to that heritage that God had set before him. And so Nehemiah is distinguishing that right now. And here's what he's doing. Nehemiah actually inspects what he expects. He's setting them in place. He's setting up the tribes of Israel. He's setting this all up here. And number one here is this, is that leaders create high expectations, but what we see is that leaders expect those that they lead to be team players, to be team players. And I want to add this word first, to be team players first. The team is always first. You know, several years ago, um, when I was in Jacksonville, uh, we, um, we, we, we did follow and we, we still kind of do follow the Jacksonville Jaguars, okay? Now, I know, I know it's not the New England dynasty, and I kind of miss most of that, right? But there was a, a player there, and I think he was in about his third year. And uh, he was a good player, uh, but he showed up to training camp, and I'll never forget it. And he showed up with a Brinks truck. And he was looking for a contract and was all about this. It was like, show me the money. And, and, and management said, you know, we got to negotiate your contract. And they offered him one thing. And he didn't like that, of course. And he, you know, said that he was worth so much more. And the thing about it is he is, and he's, he's no longer there. He's at another team. He's still complaining about how the Jaguars treated him. But he showed up there to that organization, and he was all about himself. He didn't do anything to change the culture of that locker room to help it move forward and to move better and say, you know what, 
This is where yeah, God has put me, and, and he claimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's between him and the Lord, of course. But uh, this is where God is with me, and I'm going to help this culture get better. No, he said, put me first. Put me. This is all about me. Pay me the money. I, I deserve this. And the Jaguar player was really playing for himself and not for the team. And that's what we see back here in this passage there were those that were credentialed. They were Jews of Jews. They understood where they came from. And those that were not, and now all of a sudden, they saw that the wall was rebuilt, and they wanted to be part of that. And Nehemiah is setting things in place, and he's telling them that you're going to be a team player, and we're going to put God first. And that's the same thing in our lives. That are we team players? Do we put the team first? Leaders create high expectations. Leaders expect those that they lead to be team players. Number two is this, is that leaders expect those that they lead to be true to the mission. These people knew who they were according to their heritage. What is their mission? What is the mission of the church? It's so important that we understand and that we be true to the mission. The mission of the church is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them in those things that I have commanded you. That's the number one first and foremost thing. I understand that you've got to find a church that fits your style and your needs and everything, but ultimately what you find out is that you've got to get to a place where God has called you to that church and you say, you know what, I'm here and I'm a team player and I'm going to serve and I'm going to fulfill what the scripture says, the one another's. Love one another, serve one another, prefer one another. That's how we do that. And then number three, leaders expect those they lead to be all in for the work ahead. Leaders expect those that they lead to be all in for the work ahead. Not just, you know what, I'll try it, I'll do a little bit, I'll see, I'll see what they do and how this benefits me. No, 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 not in God's kingdom. Jesus gave us his all, he didn't hold back anything, Amen. And God expects us to give us his all for his kingdom. And I know, and, and, and sometimes this can be a little bit, but here's the thing. The question that you need to ask yourself is, do you have the team's best interest at heart? Do you have the team's best interest at heart? Nehemiah, watched this. He left the pleasure of the palace to get involved with the people. He left the pleasure of the palace, the king's food and the king's protection and, and, and the food and, and, and the wine and, and dressing the nice clothes and all that stuff. He left the pleasure of the palace for the people. He was all in. Jesus left the palace and he came down to die on this earth for you and I, for his church, for his body. And Jesus was all in. And now we're here. What does the Bible tell us? We're his hands and his feet. And I want to encourage you all today, and I know many of you in here, if not all of you, you serve well, and, 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 and that's awesome. But I would encourage you not just to put one foot in and kind of see, go all in and see what God does in your life and how you see him bless your life in so many ways that you can never ask, think, or imagine. The church is not just for us. The church is us. God has called you to it, to be all in. It's a calling, not a comfort. It's a calling, not a convenience. It's a calling, not a consumer. We're all in. 
God's kingdom. And we're not going to hold anything back. Nehemiah understood this. And he was setting those people up to do that. And the fourth thing is this. Is that Nehemiah understood that leaders lead by example. Leaders lead by example. Nehemiah 7, 70 through 73. It says, some of the heads of the families contributed to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 100, I'm sorry, 1,000 drachmas of gold, 50 bowls, 530 garments for the priests. Some of the heads of the families gave to the treasury for the work 20,000 drachmas of gold, 2,200 minas of silver. The total given by the rest of the people was 20,000 drachmas of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 garments for priests. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the temple servants, along with the certain along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites settled in their own towns. I just want to say this here. You cannot lead people to do what you're unwilling to do yourself. You cannot lead people to do what you are unwilling to do for yourself, to do yourself. That's just a fact. Are you asking people to pray? Are you praying? Are you asking people to study God's word more? Are you studying God's word? Hey, I'm preaching to myself here, trust me. I can tell you that right now. There's a lot of weight to come up here and preach God's word. And I feel it every single week. And if I'm going to come up here and challenge you in the name of Jesus, I better be doing these things myself. And I better be increasing them and growing and not making excuses. Are you encouraging people to serve, to give, to share? Are you doing those things yourself? Leadership is more caught than taught. Leadership is more about example and leading by example. than talk. We all know people that can talk the talk, right? But do they walk the talk? What does their example look like? Sometimes I've seen in leadership, and, and, and I'll kind of use this as a boat analogy just because I was in the Navy, but whatever, apply it however you want. Go Army, right? Um, <laughs> go Air Force. <laughs> I set myself up for that one, sorry. Go U.S. military in Jesus' name. Come on. Um, now, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so you, you can always kind of tell a leader by the wake that they leave. Does that wake have a people that are following them and they're going off and eventually they're launched off to go do something? Or that wake do they leave behind them? Is it a bunch of trail of dead and broken bodies? Bruised, hurt, bitter angry, upset, whatever it is. You can always tell a leader's work by the people that are behind them. Have they built people up and launched them out? Have they set them free? Jesus sets them free, but have they led them? Or is there a trail of broken body? We know that leaders lead by example. Leadership is more caught than taught. Number one, they understood this, that they saw themselves as part of the community. They saw themselves as part of the community. All gifts in God's sight are equal. All the gifts in God's sight are equal. It's not about the preaching gift or the teaching gift or the worship gift or whatever is on the stage. No, the person who serves in children's ministry is just as important as every other gift. The person who serves behind the scenes preparing the coffee, the greeters, those who manage the books, those who do the administration, all those different things, the finances, whatever it is, all those are important. There's not one gift that's more important because they see themselves as part of a community, as part of a body. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? All the parts 
are important and equal in God's eyes. They might have different roles and responsibilities. There might be some gifts that are a little bit more recognizable. But in God's kingdom, it's all for his glory. Leaders lead by example because they see themselves as part of the community. Number two, they saw themselves as leaders in generosity. They saw themselves as leaders in generosity. Listen, God doesn't bless stingy. God doesn't bless selfishness. We need to understand that. God doesn't bless that. When we talk about giving our time, our talent, our treasure, are you spending that time in giving that to God's kingdom? Sometimes we think about it's, it's the dollar amount and how much we give. No, 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 no. Listen, it's behind the heart. And, and Jesus brought honor in the, in the New Testament to, to the widow who gave two mites, two copper coins, two pennies, whatever that was. And it said, you see all these people are putting in the treasury? He made an example of this. He said, listen, they're putting in out of their overflow, but she put in all. And it wasn't the amount, but it was the heart. And I don't know if God's telling you, to, that's between you and the Lord, of course. We understand the tithe, the biblical principle. But God blesses generosity. Our time, our talents, our treasure. The widow gave two mites. That's all she had. And Jesus honored that. What are your two mites? What are your talents? What is your time? God will honor that. God knows exactly where you are. We see ourselves as leaders. These people saw themselves as leaders in generosity, and we can see that back in the passage of Scripture there. And then the third and last thing is this, and we'll close with this. Leaders lead by example because they see themselves as part of the community. As leaders, they give in generosity, and then leaders saw themselves as equal in responsibility. They were responsible for the good of others. They understood that what I do not only benefits me, but it really benefits others. And see, when we bless others, God will benefit us. Because we have a responsibility to one another. That's the great thing about the body of Christ. When one's hurting, we all hurt. When one needs prayer, we all intercede, we pray. That's why I ask, hey, fill out the connection card. Let your church know we got to start there, right? We need to have more small groups set up and, and men's Bible studies and women's Bible, and we're going to do all those things in Jesus' name. But we're responsible to one another, and to do all those things, we need more people to step up and step out in faith. And we can do this, church, amen? We can be here in Warren, Rhode Island, and we can be a shining light for Jesus' glory. We can reach out into the community, and there's been some great outreaches that have already been done. Let's continue to build on that. But every single one of us, we have a part to play. And if you don't know what that part is, I would encourage you this week to spend time with God and say, God, what is my part to play? Where do you want me to be? Sometimes people would come up to me and they'd say, you know, I don't even know where to be, and I'm like, just start serving somewhere. Be a greeter. Start somewhere. And God will move you along that direction, right? If that's not the right spot for you, he'll confirm that in you and possibly some others. And they'll speak that, hopefully, in life-giving way to you in Jesus' name, amen. Or else we'll have a counseling session and I'll have to heal hurts and stuff. I know how it goes in churches, right? All kidding aside, they were responsible for the good of others. My closing challenge to you today is this. 
The question is this, are you a committed Christian or are you a consumer Christian? Are you contributing or are you just taking in? Nehemiah exhibited godly leadership. Are you the leader that God has called you to be? Are you leading by example? Start with where you're at. Give it to God and watch him grow you. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. God, we don't do these things in our own strength, and our own power. Jesus, we need you. We need you more than ever now. In a lost and broken and a hurt and dying world, God. Father, we need your presence. So God, I ask you, Lord, to help us, just like Nehemiah, to be leaders, God. Help us to see ourselves as leaders because we know, Father, that if we are a follower of you, you've created us to be a leader. Help us to invest the proper amount of time to lead ourselves, God, and then help us to not only just get our eyes on ourselves, but get off ourselves and to look to others, Father. Use us for your glory, God. Thank you for every single one in here that are leaders, God. I pray that they would uh, shift in the language from I'm just a doer to no, I'm a leader because I lead by example. And my example may not always be perfect, but you are a perfect Savior, and I'm moving forward in Jesus' name. And I'm not just sitting and waiting around and dealing with my own self, God. No, there is a season and a time for that in our lives, God. But most importantly, God, we've got to continue to get healed and whole and move forward in Jesus' name. And God, we can only do that when we spend time in your presence. And so, Father, we're going to do that right now as we close, as we take out our communion in our little chalices here. And I'll give you a second or two to crack open the